again, I'm grateful to be here with you as a church family. Those of you who are here in person, those of you who are joining us at home, online, so good to have you. And you know, one of the things I think about um, is, as a kid, uh, going to the theater was nothing short of a magical experience. It's magical for me to go to the theater. As far as back I can remember, I've always loved the cinema. And for me, nothing was better than going to the theater itself. You see, for me, the theater was my Disneyland. This, this was the happiest place on earth for me, and every single aspect of the theater contributed to that magical experience. The sticky floors, the AC turned up too high, the lingering smell of buttered popcorn, the squeaky seats, the dimly lit room, the crimson curtains covering the walls. Even just as I talk about it, I still get a sense of that old magic of being in the theater. But you see, one of the things for me that made really the theater an added sense of a magical experience was not just the film itself, but even the previews. The sneak previews, the theatrical trailers of, of what is to come. You see, the, for me, the trailers were just as important as the movie itself. And the reason for that is because what they gave you was this riveting glimpse of the future. This foretaste of coming attractions, this sneak preview to magical cinematic glory that you would get to enjoy in the future even after the current movie you were watching was over. It was the promise of more to come. You see, that's exactly why I think the genre of prophecy so resonates with me. Because in prophecy, there's these theatrical previews of what's to come, of what God is going to do in the future. There's sneak previews of these coming attractions of how the world is going to end, how sin will be destroyed, how the nations will be saved. And how the invincible kingdom of Jesus Christ is coming to a planet near you to bring paradise back to the earth. And see, if you think about it, the universe is God's theater. The earth is His stage. The Word of God is the script. Jesus Christ is the star of the show. And the prophecies of the prophets are the theatrical trailers of how one day God will intervene and He will make things right. Speaking of the visions and prophecies of the prophets, that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. And in fact, I have five for you. Five theatrical trailers, sneak previews of what's to come in the glory and kingdom of Jesus Christ. And every single one of those previews will come from the prophet Isaiah himself, who talked more about the Messiah than any other prophet in the Old Testament. Because if you think about it, Advent... Advent, this thing that we're celebrating, the birth of Jesus Christ, born in a dirty barn 2,000 years ago to save the human race. If you think about it, that right there was the ultimate plot twist. The birth and arrival of Jesus Christ. What that was right there was literally the deal breaker of human history. And the thing about that moment is that all that was, with all of its glory, with all of its beauty, all it was, was the opening scene of of a plot that the prophets had been predicting for centuries. It was just the beginning. And they prophesied about it all. Not just the birth and the incarnation, but the life, the mission, the deity, the death, the resurrection, and ultimately a global 
sovereign kingdom when Jesus Christ arrives at the end of the age and rules the nations from a throne in Jerusalem. That is what they predicted. And all of that was predicted and depicted by the prophet Isaiah centuries, 700 years before Jesus Christ ever even showed up to the planet. And to celebrate Christmas this year, that's what we're going to do as a church. On the eve of the Savior's birth and this low-lit auditorium, not too terribly different from a theater, we're going to look at sneak previews, theatrical trailers of the glory and kingdom of Jesus Christ. We'll only be here for a few minutes. This will be short and sweet. But I want you to see from the prophet Isaiah five sneak previews. Five sneak previews of Jesus Christ that prove him to be not only the treasure of Christmas, but even of life itself. That's where we're headed. Five sneak previews of Jesus Christ from the prophet Isaiah that prove him to be not only the treasure of Christmas, but even of life itself. And so sneak preview number one. The Messiah would be born from a virgin. The Messiah would be born from a virgin. Because that is interesting, isn't it? Why this was part of the plot and why it was a big enough deal that Isaiah talked about it 700 years before Mary was even born. Because the question is, why is the virgin birth even necessary? Why was this part of the plan? What does this prove? What what did this even mean? And yet what is so profound about this particular prophecy is that Isaiah talked about the virgin birth of the Messiah in the context of a hostile conversation with a king who was on the brink of doing something absolutely ridiculous. Ahaz was his name. And he was a coward and a fool. And he was on the brink of a political maneuver that had the potential of wiping out the entire country, which would bring all of God's promises crashing to the ground. And Isaiah confronts this cowardly politician and urges him not to trust the king of Assyria, but to trust only in Yahweh. And Ahaz responds, mocking and scoffing like so many politicians today. To which Isaiah replies, well, fine, have it your way. Destruction will come. Destruction will come and it will look hopeless and bleak and it will be hopeless and bleak. And yet there is proof, Ahaz, a sign that God will fulfill, despite your stupidity, every single promise that he made to his people. And so listen to the sign, listen to the preview. From chapter 7, verse 14. Hear now, O house of David. The Lord Himself will give to you a sign. What is the sign? A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and His name will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. There's the sign. The sign that gives God's guarantee that He will make all things right in the end, namely that biologically impossible miracle of a virgin who gives birth to a baby. That cannot happen. That does not happen unless, that is, God is doing something profound. And He was, because this baby was not just a baby. Who this was was Emmanuel, Emmanuel. God is with us. So what that did is even His birth proved that this was not just a man. This is God. And 700 years later, the angel Gabriel told an already pregnant Mary that she would give birth to the Savior of the human race, to which she replied, 
how can this possibly be? To which the angel replied, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Don't you see? The virgin birth says so many things. It is so many things. It proves so many things. But one of the things it also is, is the historical proof that nothing, nothing in your life is hopeless. And that one day God will take what is crooked in the world and He will make it straight. Which brings us to the second sneak preview. The second sneak preview, number two, the Messiah would be God incarnate. The Messiah would be God incarnate. And two chapters later, that's exactly what Isaiah reveals, that the Messiah and King to come wouldn't merely be a rabbi who did nice things for people, but that he would be God himself wrapped in a garment of human flesh. Listen to the preview. Chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the dominion will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And did you see what Isaiah did there? That jolting juxtaposition of a child and son who bears the dominion of the world on his shoulders. You understand dominion means authority. It means supremacy. It means sovereign power and authority. A baby would be born and bear on his shoulders the burden that no one else would be able to bear, like running the universe, for instance. And you know, you know that when you have kids, naming your children is one of the funnest part of having kids. And you see here that the child not only has one name, he has four names. And these aren't names in the birth certificate sense of the term. Rather, these are titles. Revelations, manifestations of his holy character. Isaiah tells us that the son, the child to come, would be Peleoetz, wonderful counselor. El Gibor, mighty God. Aviad, eternal father. And Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. And there's that title in the middle, which says that the Messiah to come would be Mighty God. Mighty God. Jesus Christ is God. That just never gets old. The deity of Christ never gets old. Why? Because it helps us to see that the one who arrived and the one who taught and the one who healed and the one who preached and the one who died and the one who tore the veil and the one who raised himself from the dead is the God who spoke galaxies into existence. Which means he is the one who can and must be trusted. And we sing this very thing every year, don't we? Every single year. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold Him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus Christ is mighty God.
Which brings us to the third sneak preview of the Messiah. Number three, the Messiah would be a global Savior. The Messiah would be a global Savior. Because you know that eavesdropping on conversations is something you should never do. That's extremely rude to do. And yet, and yet, in chapter 49 of Isaiah, that's exactly what we get to do. Eavesdrop on a conversation, and it just happens to be one of the most thrilling conversations ever to happen in history. And the reason is, is because the two people having the conversation is none other than Yahweh and the Messiah himself. The Father and the Son, God and Christ, having a conversation in the Old Testament, inner Trinitarian dialogue about the mission of the Messiah and the mission of the Messiah was nothing less than bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Listen to the preview. This is the son speaking, recounting the conversation that he had with the father. He says, listen to me, O islands, and pay careful attention, O distant peoples. Yahweh called me from the womb. From the womb of my mother, he has assigned to me a name. And he said to me, you are my servant in whom I am well pleased. And now, Yahweh, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to restore, the tr- to restore Jacob to himself, and to gather Israel to himself, he said to me, notice, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant. To raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, but rather I will make you a light to the nations to bring, literally, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you hear that? The conversation essentially went, if Look, if we're going to go through the trouble of sending you, incarnating you as a man, if we're going to go through the trouble of sending you to the planet, then you're not merely just going to save Israel. You're going to bring salvation even to the very ends of the earth. The question is, how would this happen? How would the Messiah save some from every tribe and tongue and nation and people? How would He make them A kingdom and priests on the earth, reigning, ruling the earth with their king. How would this happen? How would he do this? And you know how. You know exactly how the Messiah would extinguish the wrath of God and bring salvation to the ends of the earth, namely by a sin-bearing, wrath-bearing death in their place. And that's exactly what Isaiah reveals. Sneak preview number four. Number four, the Messiah would be a suffering servant. The Messiah would be a suffering servant. Let me talk about a plot twist. I mean, nobody, nobody saw this coming. I mean, you wonder why the people of Christ's day were so confused. He called himself the Son of Man, didn't he? Sixty, no, eighty-two times he called himself the Son of Man, which was used in Daniel chapter 7 to describe a reigning king. And yet the way he used the Son of Man title baffled his listeners because he oftentimes spoke of the Son of Man as one who suffered. That didn't make sense. That doesn't fit. 
And yet if only they were looking at chapter 53, if only they had absorbed chapter 53 into the bloodstream of their soul, then they would know it fits. The Messiah would be a suffering servant. In chapter 53, Isaiah gives a sneak preview of coming attractions which the Messiah would peer on the earth and he would save wrath-deserving rebels by dying for them in their place. Listen to the preview in chapter 53. And when I'm done, try to catch your breath. Starting in verse 3, speaking about the Messiah, it says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. But truly, our griefs he carried, and he bore our sorrows. But we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, we looked at him. Isaiah pictures himself as if he saw the Messiah personally suffer, and he says, we looked at him. And all we saw was a mutilated lump of flesh who looked like he died for his own sins, looked like he was being punished by God for his own unrighteousness. And yet, and yet, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace fell upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. Notice, but Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. Do you see that? The offspring of the virgin's womb would be a servant who would suffer for the sins of men. He would take the wrath he didn't deserve for sins he didn't commit. But not only that, verse 10. Verse 10 goes on to say in chapter 53 that he would get a load of this, that he would live again even after he died. The resurrection of Christ is in the Old Testament. It's in chapter 53. The Messiah would live again to see the souls he saved by his sacrifice. He would live again to see them. And yet the question is, where would he see them? Where would he be gathered with those whom he saved from every tribe and tongue and nation and people? In what context would he be joined with them? And Isaiah tells us exactly what and where that is. Which brings us to sneak preview number five. Number five, the Messiah would be a reigning king. The Messiah would be a reigning king. Because pigs have pens. Horses have corrals. And kings have kingdoms. And the preview that Isaiah gives again and again and again is that Emmanuel, mighty God, the light of the nations, the suffering servant, would also be a reigning king. That's what he showed us in chapter 9, verse 7, that he would sit on David's throne and he would be a reigning king. 
That's what he revealed in chapter 11, that he, ha- he would have an invincible, sovereign kingdom ruling the nations. And that's precisely what he displays in Isaiah chapter 2, that one day he would arrive to the earth and he would rule the nations from a throne in Jerusalem. Listen to the preview in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Because if you are in Christ, this is your future home. If you are in Christ, this is how the world is going to end. Or should I say, this is how the world is going to be reclaimed. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it will be in the end of days, in the future. The mountain of the house of Yahweh will be established as the chief of the mountains. And it will be lifted above the hills. And all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples shall come. And they shall say, come, let us go to the house of Yahweh. To the house of the God of Jacob. And let him teach us from his ways. And let us walk in his paths. For the law comes forth from Zion. And the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. And he, notice, he will judge between the nations and he will decide for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Atomic bombs will be dismantled. Weapons will be destroyed. Nation will no longer lift up a sword against the nation and never again will they learn the art of war. That's not symbolic. That's not metaphorical for anything. That is real. He will be a reigning king. Coming to a planet near you. A global sovereign kingdom with all of the nations living in subjection and worship to the king. Which is precisely what Christ himself said was going to happen. He gave his own sneak preview of his very own kingdom in Matthew chapter 25. He said, whenever the son of man should come in his kingdom... Come in His glory with all of His angels. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before Him. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Did you know that? That if you are in Christ, that before the foundation of the world, before time began, there was plans to give you a kingdom. If you are in Christ, the kingdom is yours. Salvation is yours. Christ is yours. God is yours. Paradise is yours. Can you think of any privilege more advantageous than being a son or daughter of the living God. Can you? There aren't any. So don't even try. See, everything that Christ is, is everything that you were created to need and enjoy forever. And you see, that is what we are celebrating at Christmas right there. That everything you could possibly need or ask for in this life or forever is found in the God who became man for us and for our salvation.
And the best part of all is, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus, we declare you the one born from a virgin. You are mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You are the root of Jesse who comes and rules the nations. You are the one who brings salvation to the ends of the earth. You are the one who suffered and died in the place of sinners like us. And you are the one who will come and have a kingdom and all the nations will stream to the holy mountain on which you dwell, longing to hear you preach. Oh Lord, I pray that you would sustain us. Lord, this has been a year that we would have not asked for. We wouldn't have written the script this way to have 2020 be the way that it was, and yet it is the script that you have written. It's precisely what you wanted. And that's a mystery that's hard to fathom. And we ask, O oh Christ, that you would comfort us, sustain us. I pray that you would help every person here and at home see your beauty and your glory and your worth and your value and supremacy and that you would be a treasure of infinite worth and value. Oh Lord, I pray that this Christmas would be different from the others, not just because we can't be with family in some cases, or because grocery stores lack a few things that we wish they could sell. But I pray that this Christmas would be especially different because more than ever that we would savor and treasure you as our greatest joy and delight. Help us to ponder and wonder at the glory of the incarnation, which points us to the arrival of your kingdom. <laughs>